Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, yelling at television through time. I'm one of your hosts, I am Marty Schneider. I'm that other host, Dan Ludwig. Uh, and we are, we've got some gross and dumb episodes <laughs> to talk about today. I, we are trapped in such a hell because as I was watching this, as I was watching these episodes, I didn't want to watch them. But, like, so they're either really boring Really disgusting or good, which is worse because then we have to talk about nothing. I noticed one of your notes for one of these episodes contains the phrase, there are still 10 fucking minutes left of this. <laughs> I was so tired. I was just like sitting at home taking show notes on a Wednesday night. Just like I want to do literally anything other than watch this fucking episode. We've like created like a Minotaur's Labyrinth, like... Some beautiful, like, Theseus-style, like, like, like ir- ironic torture device for ourselves <laughs> that we can never escape because if we stop creating content, we'll die. Most of the time, we don't talk about what we're drinking uh, on this show, but rest assured, we are always drinking on this show. And I am drinking an oh. Anchor Steam beer from Anchor Brewing Company. Today, because as of this week, it is union made, baby. Shout out to Anchor Brewing for unionizing. Fuck yeah, solidarity. One more reason to not drink Yingling. Oh god, Yingling fucking sucks. Fucking union busters, piss beer. The only the beer is is good. Don't the we're we're all sacrificing a cheap, enjoyable beer because they're such union busting fuckfaces. Don't minimize our sacrifice. I hate Yingling. It tastes like pennies. I, I'm not disagreeing, but I think what I'm learning from this conversation is that I kind of like the taste of pennies. I find uh, the taste of pennies like soothing, which I want my I want my sacrifice to be to be noted and respected by the world. I'm not drinking uh, a beer that I kind of like because they're union busting assholes. We're all applauding you. you Appreciate martyr. me. The slings and arrows I endure for you people. I've never eaten at Chick-fil-A. What do I get? I yeah, no, I mean me either. I don't they don't have Chick-fil-A in Massachusetts. So like everyone was like, "Hey, heads up, this place is super homophobic and also delicious." And I was like, "Well, then I mean, not smoking is easier when you never smoke, so I guess I'm never going to find out how good Chick-fil-A is." Good work on the brands today. We had one goal, which is to say a nice thing about a company, and we just talk shit on other companies. Anyway, shout out to Anchor Brewing for uh, for unionizing. Hell yeah. Dan, what have you been doing? Living the life. I watched the Theranos documentary last night, and I'm still like a really like happy kind. Like It's the, a kind of angry that feels good. Because it's like, it's that schadenfreude. Is it schadenfreude? Well, schadenfreude would be like when you are taking joy in someone else's failure. So yeah, kinda, yeah. I meant if I was pronouncing it right. Because it's a bunch of, it sort of ties into what we do here. It was a bunch of boomers getting extremely horny for like 
one woman that kind of knew what she was talking about, but not really. And then just like diving off of a cliff for her and just making huge monstrous fools out of themselves and doing so in a way that involved just also a massive amount of collateral damage, which was bad. But just like the documentary is just old man after old man being like, I was drawn to her for reasons I refuse to explain on this documentary. And now everyone knows that I'm a moron. It's constantly, I've only seen a couple of clips, but it's pretty much just consistent. Like she had such a presence about her and she really just brought us in. No, dude, you were horny. She was, she's a blonde young woman who was paying you attention and took you for millions of dollars. The, the, the detail that makes it crazier and honestly is is the most fascinating she never blinks like and no. it's not like an observation that i'm making a bunch of people were like yeah so one thing that i really noticed during my job interview was uh elizabeth holmes stares at you the entire time and i could not see her blink and people were like yeah no she just it's one of those things she doesn't blink and a bunch of guys were like, yeah, that's what I'm into. I want a woman whose eyes never need to be moisturized. That's what gets my boomer cock rock hard. The New Yorker, it's not just business horniness. It's like media horniness, too, because the New Yorker refers to her as a, quote, vexingly sphinx-like figure. At this point, I'm kind of like, boomer horniness is the most powerful force in the universe. It can move mountains, and it's also one of the theme of one of our episodes today, but we're going to go a little out of order. We're going to do the more boring episode first so that we can get to the angry, stupid, horny episode Yeah, later. we've done that before where we do the worst episode first, and then by the time we do the second one, we're just like, I don't know, what's the point of anything? So Yeah, let's, let, let's not get ourselves burnt out. Let's, let's pace ourselves. So we're going to start with... Season 2, Episode 14, The Keeper of the Flame, aired January 8th, 1962, written by Jack Ellenson and Charles Stewart, and directed by, call me Bob, Mr. Sweeney is my father's name, Bob Sweeney. Guy who works at your company, and you're not really sure what he does at your company, but he's just been there so long that no one really asks, Bob Sweeney. And here's your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Opie is put in charge of a candle and matches in a secret club and soon after is accused of burning down the barn where the club met. So let's just jump right into this. So we start off with Opie, and he's in a barn surrounded by a bunch of other kids, and they're gathered around a candle, and Opie's being sworn in to a member of a secret gang, a secret club called the Wildcats. Yeah. He's taking a sacred oath never to reveal the club secrets. He's not even allowed to tell people that there is such a club as the Wildcats. Otherwise, he will be struck down by the curse of the claw which they do not explain but it sounds fucking awesome so like yeah curse of the claw on board just want to go on go on record i would love to be in this club i like this club i want to be in it it sounds great and and not as a child me as an adult man in this club continue uh and he he's given the job of the keeper of the sacred candle uh, which basically means that there's like a candle that they have that they light and they gather around it. It's like the fucking Midnight Society from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, they're like, they're like, you need a job because we all have jobs. And it's like, I've been in secret clubs and there, nobody has jobs. Like, 
you always like start the secret club, you build the clubhouse, and then you're just sitting in it like, so what do we do? Like, Which is why it's so weird for adults to be in clubs, as we've discussed in this show before. Yeah, no, the first thing you learn as being a kid is, oh, clubs suck. Turns out it's just hanging out. Mm. You don't you didn't need to do anything. You didn't need to put any formality. Hey, Dan, you know, next time you come over to play Smash, let's make sure we instill some Robert's rules of order yeah. to, to dictate what levels and weapons we will we will allow. Yeah, no, let's we go need, ahead. There has to be policy involved. We need to get a secretary to keep minutes of every time I call you a fuckface for using Richter. What could the other so Opie has a has a job. He needs to keep like take care of the candle that they put in the middle of their meetings during the meetings. And then there's the other kid who clearly has the job of telling the other kids what to do. There's like four other kids. What jobs could they possibly have? Their clubhouse is a barn, so there's no need to like maintain it. No one's keeping minutes. There's no there's no treasurer because these kids have no money. Yeah. They're a bunch of stupid ass little kids. Like what could the other job I do I do have to say it would be really funny if they tried to like do that stuff and one of the kids was like, Here's a treasure report, we ain't got no money. That would be a good gag. That's a good joke if like the kids that's some little rascal shit. What if it Uh, was just like a bunch of little things like he he stores the buttons. He may uh he he picks when our meetings are gonna be. Ted is the order of the claw assassin. He, he, he <laughs> strikes down our enemies. He is a knife in the night. He is a hush upon Mayberry. Fear him. And like Ted is just like standing in the corner staring at them while not blinking. Uh like Elizabeth Holmes? Exactly like Elizabeth Holmes. He is also in a turtleneck. The uh the boys have to run very quickly because the owner of the barn uh, old? Mr. Foster? It is, yeah, Old it Man is, Foster. They call him Old Man Foster, and we're gonna, we we have to say his full name every time, because his whole full name is Jubal Jubal Foster. Jubal Foster. That's a drink made with ice cream. That- Jubal's Foster! That is an onomatopoeia, like, that's a noise that something, like, happens when you hit a barrel full of water. Like, that's not a- Jubal real, Foster! Yeah. No, I was thinking just Jubal's. Foster is a fine name. Jubal's is some is a name that very rightfully went extinct. So yeah, old man Jubal Foster comes and he, he chases them off of his property. Yeah, uh, fucking Scooby Doo villain this guy is. He, he is uh, the most cartoonish character on this show, and that is saying something. He's just like you're rassin' frassin' kids. You get off my property. Uh, Get up around! And he, like, sh- uh, actually so he, shakes his fist. He, like, picks up a pitchfork and, like, <laughs> threatens to stab children at one point? I don't... <laughs> Why are these kids hanging out in this extremely dangerous farm? Opie even suggests, let's find a different place to hang out, and they just, like, flat out reject him. Yeah. They go, no. It took us... It took us too long to find this place to trespass. We can't trespass anywhere else. Go to the woods! Uh, <laughs> just go you're in the middle of nowhere just go anywhere so dumb you you have zero parental supervision literally everywhere is your clubhouse and no one cares what you're doing like you could just go like no one 
gives a shit about anything you're doing ever so long as it's not on someone's property. You could just go behind a drugstore and it would be like, bunch of kids going behind a drugstore. It's the 50s. I don't give a fuck. And just like, keep walking. (laughs) These kids are dumb as hell. So, uh, next scene, we're at the jail. Opie comes in and he's super happy and he, like, teases his dad. He's like, I joined a club, but guess what it is? Can't tell you. Guess what we do? Can't tell you. Guess where I've been? Can't tell you. Can't. This goes on for a while. It, they uh, they do it like it's kind of. I think it, it's almost like one of those jokes that they they used to do on SNL where it's it's funny and then they keep doing it and they do it for so long that it becomes funny again. Except it's not a very good joke to begin with. Now he does ask, like he says he's got to pay some dues to the club. Okay, so maybe there is a treasurer because he's got to pay some dues. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that money goes to, but whatever. So. He says that he's got to pay some dues, and he asks, you know, like the hardworking young man he is, he asks for a job so he can earn some money for the dues. A easy layup of a joke would be, after saying, can't tell you, can't tell you, can't tell you, Andy says, well, how much are the dues? Four fifty. Yeah. Like, that would have been the easiest joke to go to right there, but whatever. Andy says, well, why don't you go take out the trash, clean out that wastebasket for me, and I'll give you some money. And he leaves the room. Old man Foster enters. Rasen, frassen, youngins, youngins are targeting my lawns. Tarnation upon tarnation. The pox upon your children. (laughs) (laughs) I boil over with rage. Rabble, 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 rabble. That's pretty much the scene. Uh, And then uh andy in his kind of patronizing way goes all right well we'll keep an eye out for those youngins yeah. then opie comes back in the room and are incredibly angry yes and fresh and raw ids opie and says that's one of them that's one of them kids right there Wait, he already oh, found my digging machinery that's buried under a bunch of old hay bales that's going to tunnel into a bank like, That's one of them kids that discovered that I'm actually hiding myself inside of a scuba suit <laughs> and pretending to haunt the amusement park? Rah! That's the that's <laughs> one of the kids that found the projector that makes it look like there's a dragon haunting the town. I mean, oh no! Also, the eyesight on old man Foster that he's able to just, like, eagle eye ID Opie based off of the back of his head as he's moving swiftly away. It's like, I'd recognize, oh, oh wait, no, red hair. I mean, he, he, uh, he, he is a ginger. I, 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 I think that the other kid that was like clearly in charge may have also be, had red hair, yeah. but it's black and white. So who knows? I, for, I but, forgot from the black and white that he is just ginger as all hell. So he's like, okay, well, yeah, exactly. it's one redhead in town. Wow, Opie is not going to be able to get away with any crime when he's a rebellious teenager. He'll, he'll be the easiest perp to ID. All right, so uh, Old Man Foster picks out Opie and then just starts, like, yelling at this Just kid. threatening a child. And it's already been established. Like, Andy was like, so was anything damaged or stolen? And Old Man Foster was like, no. And he was like, okay, well, this isn't really a big deal, so fuck off. And then he was like, leave. Oh, there's that kid who did that thing that you've already established. You don't give a shit about. And Andy was like, I, I don't believe you. You're wrong. How dare you accuse my child? Get the fuck out. Which, by the way, like, like, Opie is guilty of trespassing, yeah. but Andy does not do anything to look into this. Andy does not investigate the possibility that Opie did it early on. He doesn't even entertain yeah, the all. possibility. Uh, uh, to be to be fair, 
he's not going to investigate anyone because he doesn't care about this. Yeah, he he is in firm denial about there being crime in Mayberry, so it's pretty sticking with his fucking M.O. The the next scene, though, is where I mentioned earlier, uh, Opie does suggest that the kids find somewhere else to hang out, and they say no. Yeah, they're um, in the barn again, and they're just like, they don't show Opie saying that, but it's just them going like, what? Well, why would we leave this place where we're in a dirty barn and an old man is trying to murder us? What? Yeah, How can we where leave? else will we find a pile of hay? Yeah, we. You're not gonna find any place this good. We need walls to do our business, whatever the fuck that is. And then they're after <laughs> after they vote that down, they're immediately like, "Okay, so is there any further business?" Okay, then there's no more meeting. So it's literally like, they just like come together and be like, all right, meeting. Anything to talk about? No? All right, we are the Wildcats. Rawr! All right, let's get the hell out of here. So like, they literally need, they could be doing this in a cardboard box. They could be doing this in Andy's living room. Like, no one gives a shit because they're not doing it. But then it wouldn't be secret, Dan. They could be, it could be because Andy is an absentee father. Uh, <laughs> they, could, they could honestly just be using the courthouse. They could just be using the spare jail cell yeah. where Otis isn't sleeping. Yeah. Um, they could be behind a drugstore. They could be wherever. It doesn't anyway, matter. So, so old man Foster like chases them off again. Old man Foster uh, coming. And like so they run off. Now, to be very clear, like we see opie blow out the candle and store it in the box safely and run away with it yeah it is very clearly established that opie did uh did not do the the thing that is about to happen so old man foster chases them off and he goes into the barn and he is like and frashing kids keeping all god getting on my property man can't have no land libertarianism and then he he lights a lantern (laughs) And uh, and Opie, we learn why he's trying to keep the kids away. Yeah, he he unlocks because he's committing the, the worst crime you can commit in Mayberry. Moonshining. He's got a still. Yeah. So he he opens the back door. There's a a, a pretty robust still there. It's like a lot. Uh, and he just starts like drinking a little bit. And as uh as he's doing that, he knocks over the lantern and just sort of starts an ethanol fire. Credit where it's due, this is the coolest and probably best shot sequence of the entire series. Yeah, it's a pretty good This, like, scene of him, like, escaping the fire and trying to put it out and, like, the whole thing of, of the lantern crashing down onto the hay. It's It's pretty good. It's one of the better Bob Sweeney direction sequences. So it's one of the coolest ones we've seen. Honestly, it's the kind of shot you could only get in the 1960s by almost burning an old man to death. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was like, there's an old man just like hitting a raging fire with a towel. And you know, they were just like, Phil, Phil, you're not getting your per diem unless you do this. Just hit it. Just hit it. Already, now that, now grab that metal out of it. You're doing great, big guy. Okay, we're done. Yeah, they just trapped an old man, an actor in a burning building and like let him deal with it and just like, okay, and go. And then said, okay, let's all, let's all hit the snack table for craft services for lunch. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, this man is just like trying to get the smoke out of his lungs. The, the kind of filmmaking you could only get when there was no government oversight or safety standards. <laughs> so, so they get that, they, they get that awesome shot of him burning down his own barn and he, he, he flees away. 
and then uh, later, it's it's at the same place, uh, and Old Man Foster is just sort of peeking through the remains. He's directing a shitload of farmhands, uh, just like, get that, pick that up, go get that, we gotta salvage that, you could do this thing. And uh, as he's doing that, Andy rolls up. Yeah, Andy and Barney come up in the squad car. Then we get the basic premise for this episode, which is that Old Man Foster says, I told you so, and he blames the children says that the kids burned down his barn because he doesn't want to tell the police that there was a still. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of do the Columbo thing on this where the audience knows the truth the entire time and it's just a matter of, like, does Andy get to the truth? And I don't know if I like that or not. Because it feels like the stakes are pretty low because I know that, that Opie didn't do it. We're We're very clear that Opie didn't do it. So, and... You know, by this point, I'm aware that by the end of this, Opie's not going to have any consequences. I mean... So, I don't know. I don't think I like it this way. It has the most stakes of anything this season in that, like, the worst case scenario, Opie gets blamed for a crime he didn't commit, and it permanently damages the relationship between father and son, and Andy is liable for a burned-down barn. So we just have, like, there is there's a conflict... And there's stakes to that conflict, and we're at, like, the halfway point, which is when the conflict happens. It's not in the last, like, 30 fucking seconds and easily resolved by a conversation. So it's, like, it's it's not great in terms of it being, like, a, a mystery. It's not great, but in terms of, like, an Andy Griffith Show episode having stakes, it's interstellar. It is. Fair point. It's, Fair it's point. like gazing upon the face of God. They decide to start an investigation. Barney wants to, like, line up all the kids in town and do a lineup. And then have Old Man Foster, like, come over, which they they keep doing laugh tracks, too, but straight up, not, not a... That's not, that's how you would do that, yeah, probably, Not really right? a bad like, idea. You just have, the, just have him try to ID the kids, and Andy's like, no, Barney, we're not gonna do that. I don't know what his plan is, uh, other than Barney's thing. Actually, Barney does, like, actual police work twice in this episode yeah uh well b- police but, one and a half sure yeah. sure uh so i don't i don't understand why they're shooting down barney's idea other than it came to barney yeah uh the next clip is at andy's house and aunt b <laughs> continuing to be the best player first person in the show is listening to like a romantic soap opera on the radio can we, and she's just like can we do a clip real <laughs> quick of what she's listening to because it's pretty great <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then Aunt B, like, just gets mad at men yeah. because of the soap opera. And it's so funny. Yeah, she's just like, those men! I, how <laughs> they? She just gets so mad at men from a fictitious character. She is boiling over with just, like, rage. It's so great. She's already mad at men when she finds the candle in Opie's room. Yeah. And then they do a, like, side wipe to indicate that she went downstairs, which I found very funny. <laughs> yeah, they, like, it's like, a fucking Star Wars scene. <laughs> and then and they're about in the kitchen, and Andy is giving Ampy shit about her stories. She's like, whatever are we gonna do about that woman and her horrible love life? And she's just like, oh, fuck you, I'm in your house all day, I'm bored out of my skull, what do you want me to do? She gives uh, Andy the candle. And then Andy goes, wait, what? Because he knows that there was a fire. And they give each other concerned looks and go, where's Opie? Yeah. Uh, it's Andy Griffith, throughout the remainder of the episode, acting his 
face-off. He is bringing his sure. A-game this episode. Actually, so is little Ronnie Howard. He's he's kicking ass. The acting in this episode is very, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody's kind of on their game on this episode. Um, yeah. Because it's very clear what's kind of going on for each character. They call in Opie. Andy starts interrogating his son and asks, like, why is there a candle in your room? And Opie comes back with the just lightning fast, airtight alibi of, when I go out at night, I need a candle. To which Andy replies, well, you're not allowed to do that. So if that's true, you're in trouble for a different thing. So what do you say to that, jackass? So Opie says he wants to be ready for when he is allowed to go out. And then Andy says, well, the candle's half burnt. And then Opie says, well, I've been practicing for when I'm ready. He did not inherit his father's lying. He he really... Yeah, he's he's not been trained poor, in, the, in the art. This poor, simple child. Uh, and finally, finally, Andy's just like, look, there was a fire today at Jubal Foster's. Can you tell me anything about Jubal. that? Jubal. Uh, yeah, so... And, and, uh, and Opie just says, I can't tell you nothing about that. And then Andy's like, okay, so you did it. I looked foolish defending you. I can't believe, I can't believe you've done this to me. And Opie just keeps saying, like, I didn't start any fire, Pa. And then they, like, Andy sends Opie to his room, and Ampy just goes like, you do believe him, don't you? Much like the royal we in Billy Joel's masterpiece, Opie did not start the fire. <laughs> Have you just been like- It was always burning since the world's been turning. Did he also blow away JFK? Uh, there there was rock and roll and cola wars, and he couldn't take it anymore. That was the dividing line for him. That was a bridge too far, was the cola wars. And each and every one of these was Ron Howard's fault. All of them. Everything everything listed in the song We Didn't Start the Fire was Ron Howard's fault. Come at us legally, old man. We're laying this on your doorstep. Okay, so really, really severe scene that ends with the very fun, I hope he's talking figuratively line, Aunt B, that boy's been playing with matches, and he's got to get a whipping. Which, was this the 1960s equivalent of a very special episode? Were we supposed to take the moral away? Like those, Was this like that one Punky Brewster episode where the like moral was, don't climb into an abandoned refrigerator? Was this just like the very special don't play with matches episode? I mean, sort well, no, because the, the moral of the story is like, don't play with matches, otherwise a moonshiner might get drunk and burn down his house and then blame you on it. So, like, it's like, don't play with matches, because liability is, is very hard to prove in a court of law. Uh, and, and old people are liars. So if it is a very special episode, they are taking the scenic route to get there. Actually, I mean, straight truth, that's probably a better, like, if our D.A.R.E. officer had told me not to smoke weed because civil asset, asset forfeiture is a thing, and me smoking weed could lead to my parents having their house taken away by cops, I probably wouldn't smoke weed. Yeah! <laughs> like, no, that would actually be way better if they just, like, if they just, like, flipped a chair around and were just like, hey, listen, I know you want to drink beer, but... Life is chaotic and unfair, and we'll use that as an excuse to just completely ruin your life. So just don't don't give us the don't give us the opening because we will fuck you over. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, if if you just 
every very special episode like was a John Oliver special about the complex difficulties and like injustices of the legal system, that would be highly effective. Yeah. No, that would that that's like way more terrifying than any of the bullshit lies they tried to tell us. God damn Andy Griffith show you're ahead of the game. Good work on this one. Okay. Yeah. Uh let's move on let's move on. Um Okay, so so the next scene, they're at the jail. Unless you got something to say for the next two scenes, I'm just going to recap them. Basically, Barney is uh, thinks that Opie didn't do it, wants to try to work the case. Andy is like, nah, man, he did it. I'm fucked. Uh, then, right. a- then Opie's room, where real emotional scene. Yeah, so Andy comes in and basically says, listen, I got to go to Jubal Foster's tomorrow and pay for that barn. Uh, and because I'm responsible, a father is responsible for damages that his son does. Yeah. Uh, and and he says, "Were you?" Now this is key. He says, "Were you at Jubal Foster's the day his barn burned down?" And Opie says, "Yes, Pa." And so he gets that confession out of Opie. Yeah. And so Andy says, "Looks like I'm gonna have to pay for that." Yeah. Like you're looking at the man who's gonna have to pay for that barn, and I want you to know that. Okay. Kick-ass acting. Good good, good job. Yeah, good. Really, just a, a solid scene all around. Yeah. Next day. Uh, J- Jubal's is making moonshine outside. He had to chase kids off of his land to keep them away from the locked door that had his moonshine still in it. He had to have that level of operational security. And then the next thing is just like, fill in these jars with the legal <laughs> alcohol right in broad daylight. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Jubal's Foster, criminal mastermind. <laughs> fuck yeah. Oh no, there's a cruiser. Fuck, 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 fuck. Gotta put all these many, many jars away as quickly as possible. Just gonna leave. Oh, there's not enough time to get this jug of moonshine of corn liquor into my barn. It's fine. It's probably fine. Sup, Sheriff? Sup, Jubal? <laughs> oh, all right. The, 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 I'm gonna... the, the angrier the get, they get, the more they call him Jubal's. Like, when everything's cool, they're like, Foster, what's going on? And they're like, Jubal's. Wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. Like, wouldn't you? If you knew a guy named Jubal's, wouldn't you, like, call him that any time he pissed you Anytime off? Any time he stepped to me. Like, if he was like, yeah. hey, fuck you, I I have, like, a valid point about why you suck. I'd be like, yeah, you, well, you're, you're Jubal's, man. Like jubals yeah so so jubals i guess forgets that he's got fucking moonshine just out in the open there because he starts negotiating with andy andy's like about to write a check and uh and he's just like all right how much is the barn yeah and jubals goes well and he's just like hemming and hawing about like how much damages he can get uh the ultra reliable mayberry wiki did do the work for me Mm -hmm. Uh, he quotes a price of $450 to Andy for the cost to rebuild his barn. $450 in 1962 would be $3,621.48 in 2018. Solid chunk of change. Good chunk of change. Also, probably what a, probably what a barn cost. Yeah. No, he yeah. Like, all um, of his itemized deductions are pretty legit. He uh, The math checks out. Yeah. So he not only bills him for the cost of the barn, but everything in the barn, which was inter- like interesting because he can't really prove what was in the barn. But he just says, like, he says, like, I got some tools and I got some, uh, you know, some pitchforks and also a hundred bushels of corn. Anyway, 
that probably comes out to yada yada yada. And as he's doing all of this, Barney goes to get a drink of water. This, it's this a good scene where just like in the foreground, Jubal's and Andy are arguing, and in the background, Barney's just kind of wandering around essentially, and he stumbles across what he thinks is a bucket of water, yeah. and he takes a big, long drink from this giant, comically large ladle. Yeah, and he like the glug 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 goes on forever. Uh, I don't, does he not have a sense of smell or taste or anything? I mean, moonshine is like mega, I've never had moonshine. It's like fucking mega vodka, right? Like it's. Yeah, but but I've, I've had, I've had things like, like Everclear and I've had like real heavy alcohols and stuff. Yeah, no, you. Uh, So he takes a giant drink and is just instantly shit. Yeah, no, he like, he swallows and he's like, wait a minute. Something's not right about this water. So not we I feel like the Andy Griffith show doesn't have a great understanding of how liquor works, but whatever. So he's immediately blasted. Uh and then he starts trying to get Andy's attention, which isn't going great because he is annihilated. Right. Yeah. So Barney eventually manages to get his attention right as he as he's about to write the check and then just doesn't even say anything just kind of like breathes on andy and andy immediately doesn't even do like a second of thought he just like looks at barney and then immediately arrests jubles and just just says like all right so remember how you said that there was a hundred bushels of corn why would you need that except if you're making moonshine uh also my deputy's drunk from drinking the moonshine on the premise but most importantly my detective work uh Right. Yeah, so they arrest Jubal's, and then they start taking him to the cop car. But then Barney starts to fall over, piss drunk. So Jubal's helps Andy carry Barney Barney to the cop car. I want to point something out. They successfully proved that Jubal's was running a still on his property. Yeah, that does not prove that Jubal's burned down his own barn. No. Like, proving one does not disprove the other. It doesn't mean that, that Opie is innocent. Yeah. No, absolutely. Bar- Opie could have accidentally burned, like, like lit up his moonshine still. Yeah, this does not acquit Opie at all, but they act like it does. Well, I think it, because, all right, this is like our, uh, our boomer uh, brain thing of the episode. If, if Jubal's foster is, uh, is a criminal... He must be lying about everything, and his none of his uh, legal complaints are valid. So, which is different than Opie's lies somehow. Yeah, yeah. But if if you if you do a crime, then suddenly you are like completely everything you say is dubious. You are no longer like trustworthy in any way, shape, or form. So he must have also done that crime that he said that uh, that Opie did. It's just like one of those little assumptions that gets like subtly planted. Uh, the, the the stinger of this is somewhat bullshit. Basically, Andy and Opie have a moment together where uh, Andy says, "Like when I was a kid, I was also in a club, yeah, and I was also the keeper of the flame." And then my dad saw that I was I was playing with matches, and he beat the shit out of me. The way he puts it is, uh, "My father implied that I should find a different job, and he implied it right on my behind." Basically, Opie, or Andy, like, gives this, like, threat of violence and then says, but don't worry, I'm not gonna do that. I'm Keeper of the Flashlight. Yeah, so he gives him a flashlight to use instead of the, instead of the camera. Yeah. That's it. Uh, 
So, but the big lesson that Andy learns is he's like, so I'm supposed to investigate a crime and then come to a conclusion. And I came to the conclusion that you were guilty. And then I investigated the crime to prove it. And did you? I don't think you did any investigating one way or the other. I like the idea that, yeah, you should probably not just automatically assume guilt when looking into uh, situations. But you didn't do anything, <laughs> Andy. He didn't He didn't do any investigating when, when he thought that Opie wasn't guilty. And he didn't do any investigating when he thought Opie was guilty. He just took an old man's word for it. And then a little... Literally, the only way that this that any of this happened is that Barney was thirsty. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the only... It's really more coincidence than anything. Yeah, no, he was... You know he got lucky is that because his dipshit deputy is stupid enough to just drink water from a bucket on a farm. He was just like, yeah, this is probably clean and definitely not cow urine. <laughs> Like this is Wait, why why would he just have a bucket of cow? I don't know urine? how farms you know work, what? man. I assume you just kinda need the like you need a place to put the urine. I don't know. <laughs> I Fair. yeah, you just like I don't know, maybe like you gotta spread it around to scare off other cows. I don't know, man. I'm sure there's a lot of intricacies to farming. I'm not backing down on this. <laughs> So anyway, uh, so moving on, uh, moving, fuck you. Okay. With the cows. God damn it. So, but yeah, so like Andy doesn't like, and I guess Andy learns the lesson like, oh yeah, I should have done any police work whatsoever about this. Yeah. It's, it's really funny how like the important lesson that Andy learns is sometimes I should do my job. Like, and the evidence he had was that Opie wouldn't say whether or not he did a crime. So Opie pleads the fifth and Andy is like, okay, well that means you fucking did it. You little fuck. I'm going to, I'm going to ambiguously beat you in between scenes. Let's, let's go ahead and rate this episode. Honestly, like, as we talked about it, this is a better episode. I enjoyed it more than I thought it's I did. It's actually uh, pretty solid. It's a... Yeah, solid episode all around. I'm going to give it, like, seven, eight. I'll give it eight. It's... Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, okay. I'll see, like, especially for this season, it's so good to have an episode that has, like, a beginning, a middle, end, stakes, a villain, resolution that makes sense with the story that preceded it. Fucking a moral that doesn't exactly some, some, make sense, but is actually, like, somewhat coherent. Some pretty excellent camera work all all throughout. Yeah. Um and, and like top notch acting from everyone involved, including Don Knotts. Yeah. Oh, Don Knotts uh, does a great drunk bit. He kills. Oh yeah, it's it's up there next to Hal Smith's Otis bit. Yeah. So like so yeah, really just solid all around episode. Firing on uh, all like pistons. The, and still somehow manages yeah. to be infuriating. Yeah, I mean that's that's the Andy Griffith show way, my friend. That's why we're here. Yeah, no, it's like a good old, like, season one episode where, like, sometimes they were really good, but all full of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking of the bullshit, which, all right, so five, five a meter, uh, I don't know what to rank on this. Um, okay. I feel like it's pretty, pretty low, actually, because. Okay. There's nothing, there's nothing real gross about it, especially in comparison to the episode we're going to do later. Andy ambiguously beats his son over a crime that his son didn't commit, but that's sort of like, that was the 60s and several other decades. Uh, yeah, there's that weird 
little little assumption that that snuck into the head of the the older generations. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it at like a like a like a like a four. That was three. Yeah. yeah, somewhere around there. It's not that bad. Okay. Um. So. So let's go to the gross stuff. Let's get into the farmer's the farmer's bride. I don't. The farmer bride sequel. Uh, this is prequel to the princess bride. The farmer bride. The real it. We were talking like we mentioned the other one was like a good old fashioned season one episode. This is pure uncut season one. This is like. This oh, is the sequel to Ellie Saves a Female, if there ever was one. Yeah, probably the second most sexist thing I've ever seen on television. Uh, all right, we're talking about season two, episode 13, The Farmer Takes a Wife, aired January 1st, 1962, written by Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart. Nope, written by Charles Stewart and Jack Ellison, and directed by extremely divorced dad, <laughs> Bob Sweeney. <laughs> Side character in a Studio Ghibli film, Bob Sweeney. Here's your one sentence summary from Wikipedia. A farmer comes to Mayberry looking for a wife in an unconventional manner and chooses Barney's girlfriend, Thelma Lou, much to Barney's distress. So let's go ahead and point out this from the beginning here. Thelma Lou has zero agency in this entire fucking thing. The poor uh, fucking Thelma Lou is just at the mercy of a of three dudes being psychopaths. Just honestly, like, Thelma Lou should be, like, a, almost like a feminist icon, but not like a, like a feminist icon of, like, we can do it, but a feminist icon of, like, look back at those who have suffered. Like. Yeah. It, it becomes pretty clear that you could probably marry El- Thelma Lou and, like, impregnate her and raise a family of three if you were just the highest bidder. Like, it's gross. It is. Thelma Lou is constantly in, like, fight or flight mode and she is like constantly like looking for the fucking exits in 90% of her interactions including with her actual boyfriend she's always like everyone around me is very large and unstable uh I'm just like in a sea of mental illness and just ready to fucking bolt Thelma Lou definitely has a go bag under her bed oh absolutely yeah fucking justice for Thelma Lou I I I want to see somebody write this fanfic. I want to see the Thelma Lou snaps revenge murder, like, Christ. I spit on your grave style fucking slasher. You know what makes it so much worse is that the actress who plays Thelma Lou rules. She's so, so good. good. She's so good. She's so much better than everyone else. Especially, like, she, like, it is insane to see her as a romantic interest to Don Knotts because she's, like, a better actress. So she's, like, her character feels like more like a person than than barney fife so it is like like you just feel her pain so much more (laughs) so nightmarish and horrible uh all right let's so we have gotten we've been yelling for like five minutes and we have not said the first scene what this what the scene's about so all right so first thing that happens is that jeff pruitt who's a big boisterous farmer uh, comes down from the mountains, I guess, from his, like, his farm way the hell up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And he, like, drives in. Uh, by the way, Jeff Pruitt is played by Alan Hale Jr., best known as the Skipper from Gilligan's Island. Oh, my God. Uh, Holy and this shit. Was, this was basically almost his audition for that show. He does call Barney Little Buddy numerous times. Motherfuck, uh, this was pre-Gilligan's Island? This was pre-Gilligan, yeah. 
Holy shit, I just did a spit take on that. Like, a, a very undeserved spit take. That was very mild information, but also I was in the middle of drinking a beer. Uh, holy shit. Okay, yeah, so that's weird. Um, yeah, Gill- Gilligan's Island starts in 1964, so this is kind of the, like, I, this is basically his audition reel. Yeah, so they establish early that Jeff Pruitt is a lunatic, because he gets out of his truck and then just starts screaming at a building, just like, Andy, Barney, hello! And then, like, cut to the jail interior where they're just like, the fuck was that? Was that yeah, Jeff Pruitt? Which, they they really recognize his scream because they've heard it a lot. Uh, <laughs> I like that implication. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Jeff just, like, Kool-Aid mans into the room. Jeff Kool-Aid mans into every <laughs> single room. He... He barely... He Kool-Aid mans into life. Yeah. (laughs) He barely uses doors. (laughs) I I feel like you could imagine at least one scene where he enters the room just by, like, bursting through the ceiling. He's like... He's like Ed from Ed, Ed, and Eddie, the one with 1D. Yeah. I, I... Gotta say, man, I wish this episode wasn't so gross and his character wasn't so gross because Jeff Pruitt... Like, unequivocally rules. With- Alan Hale is so good at this big, boisterous, yelling character. He kicks so much ass, and I wish it wasn't so fucking terrible. I I am not even shitting you. I know a dude who, minus the gross uh, belligerent sexism, is exactly this dude. I, like, uh, my, my friend Evan is this exact human being, including the giant size and accidental perchant for grievously injuring his friends just by being too enthusiastic. He's like, he has at one point gotten so excited, picked me up and accidentally bashed my head into the ceiling of a bar. Uh, it is, it was really weird to watch this because it was like watching my friend be a sexist shithead. So, so let's go ahead and get into the sexist shithead. Uh, basically they ask, hey, Jeff, what are you coming down here for? What, uh, what are you looking for? He goes, I'm looking for a bride! Oh! Can we, can we go ahead and establish something real quick? Yeah. Referring to any woman as a, your bride is fucking creepy. I think you are allowed to do that on your wedding day and during the honeymoon. But before or after that, it's fucking weird. Don't do it. It makes you sound like a cult leader who's also going to sacrifice her on, like, an altar with a ceremonial knife. Like, when I join with my bride with the green eyes, then the power of Zathura will be mine! (laughs) It's like, that's the only other context for it is if you're the bad guy in Big Trouble in Little China. But so yeah, no, absolutely. And he also refers to his his uh his romantic endeavor in the grossest terms. So all right, he says he's in town to find a bride, and he's going to stick around a few days, look over the available stock, pick one out, take her back to the farm. So like, look. This is the joke, right? The available stock. It is like a joke. Like we're. We're laughing at Jeff, but also, like, I don't think we're laughing at Jeff enough. Right. The joke is that Jeff thinks that you can pick out a bride the same way you would pick out any, like, livestock for a barn or for a farm. Because he's, haha, simple farmer, that's what he knows. So the joke is, throughout the entire thing, 
Jeff is a really, really, really nice guy. He's a really good dude. They never question that. They're consistent. Like, Jeff's a good dude. But he just, little wrinkle in Jeff, uh, he thinks that women are animals, uh, and, or, like, animals and or objects. It's just, like, other than that, super chill dude, nicest dude, great guy. Great dude, great dude, just just will like literally weigh you and grope you in public you know, just he, beyond that like he really and it's not his fault he's not he's not mean about it like not his fault just he's just a little behind the times he doesn't totally understand that women are sentient like he's great not dude not there awesome poker player real good dude to great drinking buddy he just thinks you can own people yeah like, just, you gotta get past that like all right listen you know that part in your life where you realized that women were people he just mm, i don't know what happened he never totally got there but a bro if there ever was one and we'll get him there uh and they also, like, have a brief thing where they're like, man, we thought you were going to marry Bertha, the nice lady from the next farm who uh, who you're really close with. And he's like, Bertha? Bertha? Why, me and her are just hang out all the time and really sync up emotionally and are just kind of great together. But, you know, I can't marry her. She's a person. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Also, it's implied that she's not, he, he says, uh, he wants, like, a little, a, a female type, all soft and squishy-like. He actually says So gross. Squishy. Soft and squishy-like, yeah. Yeah, squishy. so. Squishy. He describes yep. women as squishy, which is, like, visceral sexism. And Andy straight up asks, like, okay, you know you can't find a wife in two days. And he says, what if she doesn't want to marry you? And Jeff Pruitt cannot come up with any reason why a woman wouldn't want to marry him in two days. He basically yeah. says, I'm good looking. I'm strong. I got a good farm. Two days. Not a problem. Whatever. They move on to the next thing. And Barney's like, well, I think. And Andy should be like, stop. Stop. Okay, so we got to solve this. Like, <laughs> the remainder <laughs> yeah. of the episode should have been like, so let me run you through just I guess everything, because... The next words out of everyone's mouth should have been like, Jeff, sit down. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> yeah. Some, like, like I imagine, like, all these other Andy Griffith show adventures come in and be like, Andy, like, Floyd comes in, like, Andy, I have a problem. He's like, get out. Get out. <laughs> this demon is going to be unleashed on our town if I don't explain to him everything. Like, I don't even know, like, you can't even be like, He's explaining consent and, like, and, 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 like, women's agency. He's just, he just has to explain to him, like, the social contract. And yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't need to go that deep into feminism on this. You just need to, like, just start by saying no. Like, he's gotta, like, just gotta, like, build, break him down and rebuild from, from the beginning there. Yeah, he's uh, But instead at, of that happening, everyone just like, takes him at his word. Yeah. No, he's, like, Barney, like, boobs on. He's like, well, I'll offer to help. Uh, maybe, and, and Andy's like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna help with this, this, this terrible idea. And Barney's like, well, maybe while we're, like, out on the town, if we just, like, are doing our jobs as policemen, we'll, uh, we'll just, like, yeah. see, a, see a woman. Uh, I'm so I'm so mad that this is the episode where we get to say it, but here it is, Dan. 
Woman hunt! Woman hunt! Woman hunt! <laughs> yeah, no, they explicitly say, and he's like, well, maybe the next time we're on a man hunt, we'll do a woman hunt! Woman hunt! <laughs> woman hunt! It's the worst use of the line! I'm so mad that this is the episode where we got to do that! They should have been hunting a lady assassin! A black widow rolls into Mayberry and they're in a battle of wits with her. Why is it on this? Please send us your Killing Eve Andy Griffith show fanfic crossover. That doesn't spoil the ending of Killing Eve because I'm halfway through the first season. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Jeff just, like, Jeff just pieces out. out. <laughs> Bye! Just, 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 like, he, he just, he goes back through the Jeff-shaped hole in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> from which he entered. He runs off like Bowser. <laughs> this fucking deranged mountain man. Uh, like, another shot of the jail. Uh, and Obi enters and just says, like, hey, um... Oh yeah, Ron Howard here, collecting my paycheck, here for some exposition. Uh, I saw Jeff, uh, he's standing on the corner picking up girls, and Andy's like, wait, how do you know what picking up girls looks like? Opie, what have you been doing? And, and my, it's answered, real funny, like, I gotta say, I really do like the face that Andy Griffith makes on this. What do you know about picking up girls? <laughs> and Opie's response should have been, man, have you listened to me from the last two, two seasons? I'm killing it out there. <laughs> yeah. I've had like four girlfriends in a season and a half. I'm crushing it, old man. But no. So, I mean, like, literally, he is literally picking up women to check their weight. He's done like six. And Andy just like books it outside it's all it's actually a pretty good like running outside thing because he just like almost knocks shit over on his desk getting up and then opie this little fucking renaissance man is just like to nobody says to no one imagine caring how much a girl's imagine caring how much a girl weighs like and it's supposed to be a joke of like like, the, the laugh track is at him where it's like, oh, Opie, you haven't learned how important that is. But I'm like, fuck yeah, Opie. Fuck yeah, no, we, we learned this in season one. Opie doesn't give a damn for your, like, standards of beauty. Do, do not body shame women around Opie. Opie will fuck you up. I'm pretty pro-Opie this episode. <laughs> Outside, Jeff's doing the thing. Uh, pretty Yeah, literally. he's literally doing that. A couple of women are up, and he just grabs them and lifts them. And just gropes them on the street, essentially. Picks them up by the hips. How do they react to it, Marty? Uh, how, how, how Not re- pleased. Not well. They they pretty much say, please, sir, do not do this. I would like to, I would like it if you stopped. Would you say it's it's with anger, fear, or both? Oh, fanger? Yeah. I would say probably definitely more fear, though, because he's a giant man. And these are tiny women. Yeah, they're yeah. like... It pretty much looks like Fay Ray in a King Kong situation. Like he pretty much lifts them with one hand. The first one is like, "No, put me down," and the second one was like, "Well, time to die." I, I suppose <laughs> yeah, I've lived just, a good life. She just resigns herself to it. She just like screams the scream of someone that's like in a burning building. Like she's not like, "Help me, someone help me!" She's just like, "Oh, I didn't think this was how Bertha would go out." Uh, so so Andy runs up and just like no stop fucking doing this and he takes him up to his house Uh, so they go to the house and of course they have some chicken and dumplings or whatever Uh, they eat dinner and they they compliment the dinner as they have to do every single time there is a dinner apparently Andy like 
took Jeff to the house but didn't say anything to him about anything because he starts asking, "Hey, Aunt B." And for a second, I thought he was going to ask Aunt B out, that which was going to be hilarious. That's where I thought this was going to go. But no, he's like, Aunt B, do you know any young women that I could marry? <laughs> yeah. Aunt B, you got any bitches? You got any? <laughs> and, and of course, of course, this is Aunt, classic Aunt B. Well, of course I have bitches. <laughs> but do you really think you can get my bitches? I'm I don't sorry, think Jim. you deserve my bitches. Jim, These I'm bitches go- are for quality men only. Jeff, I'm going to be straight with you. The only person in the entire episode, you do not pass muster for Aunt B's bitches. I look at this black book. This black book is full of names of women who are good to go. Not you, man. Never you. Aunt B is the madam of just the greatest brothel. (laughs) She's not Tinder. She's not Bumble. She's that e harmony shit. Like she's yeah, yeah. She's a curated experience. You get you go to Aunt B for your dating needs. One, you're getting past the Aunt B vetting, and two, you're gonna find your fucking soulmate. She ba- she's the fucking matchmaker from the beginning of Mulan. Exactly, and she's just like, "Fuck out of here with this bullshit! Get this big jackass out of my kitchen!" Thinking that he can get into my black book, eat shit. And here's the thing: it almost works. Cause he, she's like, you know, some people like date for like a year or so yeah. before they get married. Uh, and it almost works, but then enter Barney to ruin everything. Yeah. Barney, Barney, like, it's really funny how Barney just jumps at every opportunity to be sexist as he, that he can. And he comes in and he goes, listen, I got a house full of brides for you, which again, you're just describing a brothel at this point, but, He's just like, I got a whole house full of women. They're having an all women only party over at Thelma Lou's and I can get you in. I mean, and, is, and, is it just me that the subtle implication is that Barney wants to watch? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. there's really nothing in it for Barney. I don't know why he's so involved in this. Barney. Other than it, he's just like, all right, I get to be sexist. Okay. I. It feels like sort of that thing of like. Like, like he, he, he's gravitating towards like this big alpha dude motherfucker. And also he's kind of like, he's like vicariously living through him where he's like, I'm Jeff's going to plow a bunch of women. And also I'll be there just kind of like, you know, part of it. Honestly, if, if Barney would just go ahead and like lean into his cuckold tendencies. Yeah. Like this, this situation would not be a problem because what happens is, what happens is they go to, yeah, they go to Thelma Lou's party, uh, and Thelma Lou, Barney goes around the back. Thelma Lou is a little apprehensive. She does not want to let these guys in, she, but they like, come in. Is, she, she's like, this is a terrible idea. And Barney's like, hey, thank you. And like, just blows past the subject. She's like, I think this is a bad idea. And he's like, I think you're a great girlfriend for letting me do this. Anyway, unlock the door. And like, let let us let us impede upon your party here. So they enter the they enter the 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 dudes house. roll in like it's a freshman college party, like yeah. like oh hey yeah no we just like you know wanted to stop by oh what there's a party happening oh I hope is it cool oh hey what's up my name's Trevor like. It's, it's really got, like, that energy. Like, there's even the guy that, that does not want to be there. It's it's kind of great. 
Yeah. It's actually so, perfect college vibes because there's the dude that is like rolling in and extremely horny. There's the guy who's not going to talk to anybody, but is just like, like grooving on it. And then there's the guy who thinks this is a terrible idea. It's the perfect, like three dude party crasher, uh, atmosphere uh so they go in and they start talking to people or they look like they're gonna talk, start talking to people and they say something real gross like like jeff says oh it's like i want to order something but there's too much on the menu ah they, they, they're just kind of doing this whole waka waka oh, yeah. nudge nudge thing oh girl tits oh, he to just each like other goes from women to women and he's just like hello i'm jeff you're pretty hello i'm jeff you're pretty hello i'm jeff you are pretty and then just like like gawking like he's like the cartoon wolf in a uh, in a tex avery cartoon where like his tongue is hanging out of his mouth and he's just like oh you know, dan, dan oh, you're slightly Luka. wrong you're slightly wrong because if, if he were doing that then at least he would be making like contact with these women and saying words to them which they could respond to instead he just i fucks every woman in the room and one woman in particular now he spots the woman that he likes and this is, like, the part where I just started screaming, fuck you, at the screen. Oh, my uh, he, Christ. He spots a woman he likes, and Jeff says, yeah, I'd like to see someone over there. And he points at a, a blonde, she's not fat, she's just a, a slightly heavier set woman than the she's, size twos that are around. Yeah, she's around. not rail thin. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, like, we don't see her face. We pretty much only see her from the back of, of her head. They just, like, um, show, which... like, her flank. Jesus, it's so fucking disgusting and gross. Just especially dehumanizing to this one slightly larger woman. And they're, and Barney's like, all right, I guess if you want to hang out with her, I'm sure she's got a great personality, some yeah. shit like that. Yeah, he's like, like, I'm sure she's fine. If that's the woman you want to meet, whatever. He, he, you know? he asked and... him, like, three times. He's like, you sure? And Jeff's like, yeah. He's like, you sure? He's like, yeah. You sure? Yeah. It's like, it's not like Jeff is a skinny dude. Like, Jeff's a big motherfucker. Like, he is, like, he he is not all muscle. Like, he's the skipper from Gilligan's Island. Like, he's got got that, like, 1950s fat tough guy going on. Yeah. He's (laughs) got a fucking gut. And Barney's just like you. You're, but you're tall. You're you're not going to sleep with an extremely skinny woman. What are you doing? It's uh, God. It I. It, it's a kind of gross that I feel like I am not equipped to articulate. No, you, you, you nailed it. Yeah. So anyway, so they go over, and Barney says, "All right, let's meet this like slightly bigger woman in polka dots," and she walks away. And it turns out, no, she was just standing in front of Thelma Lou, who is the actual object of Jeff's affections. Emphasis on the word object. They're using both women as different kinds of objects simultaneously. And then they don't say anything. Like, like Jeff just stands in front of Thelma Lou and just, like, does a big grin and goes, ah, 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 like fucking animal from the Muppets. Warm on, warm on. I could imagine the women who are at this party where they're like, so I really liked Thelma Lou's party until a horny giant just nutted inside his overalls for, like, ten minutes while eye-blasting me. So... I don't think I'm coming to one of these again because he came in it. <laughs> like, like Thelma Lou is some some tips on your party. Uh, maybe don't give Andre the Giant 
a bunch of Viagra and just let him loose in your party. I, God knows I'm not a party planner, but you know. It's like Kurt Angle just bought a fuckload of those like tiger sex pills that you get at any bodega. Yeah. Just took a bunch of them and just like, all right, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so gross and bad. And I would never go to one of her parties again. I would yeah. not talk to her. Uh, and anyway, that's that's the end of the scene, basically, is that Jeff just, rah, 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 just like, I fucks Thelma Lou. Thelma Lou just looks at her, him in surprise. No one says anything. Barney and Don Knotts, like, stuff. throws a fit. Yeah. Barney just, like, like impotently waves his tiny slender arms going, no, 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 no. Just runs, to black. runs around. Fade um, to black. That's yeah. it. And, and, and by the way, Andy's in this scene. He just sits in the back laughing. Yeah. <laughs> he is just like, like aggressively not interfering. And so then it cuts to the jail and Barney is doing the thing that he is, that he does every fucking time there's a problem, which is externalizing and lashing out, which is so funny at this point where he's just like, like of all the insane notions, uh, I no longer like that we're trying to get Jeff laid. And Andy, I'm mad at you for letting this happen. You shouldn't have let me do this. And Andy's like, well, you did it be despite me telling you not to. And he's like, oh, look at you passing the buck. Uh, so he's just like trying to make it everyone else's fault. And Barney's like, right. I got to go out and find Jeff and get him to stop it. And Andy just goes, well, you know, he's probably at Thelma Luz. And I was like, man, Andy, fuck you. You're being a dick and making him paranoid. But then we cut to Thelma Lou's fucking yard where, <laughs> where Jeff is just screaming like a lunatic and barreling at her house. Also like a lunatic. Just like, hello, I am coming in. And just like charges her house. And Thelma Lou just like opens the door. And then he just goes like, hello sugar plum and then gives her flowers and she should have immediately gone like closed door and be like i have a gun like yeah yeah i mean this is this is so fucking annoying it feels like this literally could have just been ended by one sentence from thelma lou if anyone gave a fuck or respected thelma lou as a human being at all she says like, multiple times she's like no and he's like oh well i'm waiting for the end of the sentence where you say yes like it, yeah, it's just she, a real super rapey vibe. Where she like, is in physical fucking danger. Like this crazy man who does not understand consent and just women's autonomy, as decided, like just charges her house, and she is alone. And he and is she very tries big. so hard. She's like, "Listen, I need to explain something before this goes any further." And he's like. Of course you do. I gotta get to know you before we get married, right? Let's do this for a day. And he literally picks her up. Barney shows up. He's hidden behind the bush. He immediately uh, hides behind a bush. He does not help his girlfriend as she is being accosted by a giant. He hides behind some shrubbery. Like a prick. Like, ugh. Yeah. Because, all right, he, Barney will later get into a big thing of whether or not he should fight Jeff Pruitt. And his his logic for when he should fight Jeff Pruitt is like, well, Jeff Pruitt has dishonored me. Not now, when he needs to protect his girlfriend from being assaulted. That's the time when it's time to hide behind a fucking bush. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> uh, so... Thelma Lou takes an opportunity and she like runs inside of her house basically and shuts the door. 
Barney talks to Jeff and basically says, you can't have Thelma Lou. She's my girl. Everybody knows she's my girl. And- oh, oh, also, before this happened, uh, when when Barney rolls up and is, like, about to give this thing, Jeff says, she's juicier than a barrel full of corn squeezins, which, in so many levels, what? What does yeah. every single syllable of that mean? And also gross. I don't know what it means, but I know that it's gross and I hate it. I don't know what a corn squeeze is, but keep those words so far away from any description of any person. But, and yeah, and then Barney starts to deliver his ultimatum. Uh, yeah, he basically says, you can't have her. She's my girl. And then the leaps in logic here are just amazing. Because Jeff Pruitt's argument is like, were you married to her? You engaged? Well, guess what, bud? Looks like she's more my girl than yours because I'm going to ask her out. Or I'm going to ask her to marry me. Yeah. I'm skipping right to the point. Eat shit, little buddy, and then shoves him into a bush. Okay, so Wait. Jeff Pruitt is a huge a psychopath. asshole. Like, they're like, yeah. they, they keep being like, well, we need to change Jeff Pruitt's mind. And they should be like, okay, so we need to run Jeff Pruitt the fuck out of town because he's a danger to society and also extremely mean to his friends. Like, I hate I hate Barney, and I still got viscerally mad at Jeff Pruitt. And they're just like, oh, we just need to remind Jeff Pruitt to not do this. It's like, no, you need to like kick him out of town. And this is like the Andy Griffith thing where you can't like disappoint or upset anyone even the slightest bit. You can't hurt someone's feelings even the tiniest amount. So you need to go and do a wacky fucking scheme yeah. so that, you know, what you want to happen happens anyway. But no one is disappointed and it feels like it was somebody else's idea. And that's what the next fucking oh. 15 minutes of this episode are. Well, we actually it's just were a missing a fucking scheme. We're, we're missing a critical scene first. Because uh, okay. after Jeff Pruitt bounces, there's a, there's a scene where Barney enters Thelma Lou's place and he delivers a, a line that is actually apparently pretty iconic where he tells Thelma Lou to nip it in the bud. Oh, that's right. That's right. I think that might be the first time we hear Barney's catchphrase. Yeah. So this is Barney's catchphrase. I wasn't sure if it was his catchphrase, but it is definitely the line that every single conservative comedian does when they're doing a Barney Fife impression, which is definitely the line that's mostly associated with Barney. It's kind of crazy. Cause like, uh, uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Mike Huckabee's show right now because I hate myself, and he has a lot of conservative comedians on. We can't do Barney Fife impressions. It's the only impression those people can do. They just like be like, oh, you, you, you guys ready for the impression portion of my act? Well, here's Barney Fife saying nip it in the bud, and here's Barney Fife saying nip it in the bud. All right, good night, everybody. Like, super weird. Uh, but yeah, so also fun, fun fact, if you type in the words, nip it in the bud into Google images, it's literally, you have to go down three rows before you see a picture. That's not Barney. Fife. It's the weirdest catchphrase. Yeah. It's so yeah. weird. But so Barney basically says to Thelma Lou, you need to make Jeff Pruitt stop hitting on you to which she responds. How? And he goes, do it. She's like, 90 pounds he weighs 
four of her, and also he's a fucking lunatic, and you couldn't make him stop, so how the fuck is she supposed to make him stop? Like, it's the worst scene, because <laughs> he's just like, hey, uh, I'm putting it on you to make a deranged giant lunatic stop being in love with you. Like, mm. Uh, so... I got too mad to, to keep talking. Alright, so the next scene is the is the jail, and Barney... This is the scene where Barney wants to fight Jeff Pruitt. Uh, By the way, he's, he says something like, I hate to get rough with a woman, but what else could I do? I had to adopt a get-tough policy. They're talking about, we're gonna lay down the fucking law. Which, uh, how? It's like, other than... What can she do other than not fuck him? Like, right. But but then then they look out the door basically, and there's Jeff accosting Thelma Lou again outside with like his arm Barney, around her. Yeah, and Barney like goes out to fight Jeff, and Andy stops him basically, being like, "No, he'll murder you." This guy's definitely worth having around, by the way. Super cool guy, Jeff. Just great friend. He might you know physically lash out and you know beat you to death if you. Tell him not to do something, but other than that... Super chill dude, really nice, great laugh. Uh, One thing, if you try to prevent him from fucking your girlfriend, he might beat you to death, but chillest dude you've ever known. Great guy, super good at checkers. Yeah, Um. which is a thing they definitely valued a lot. They were like, oh yeah, no man, he's... uh." He, he, he's he got, like, this really cool basement that he lets us hang out in. Uh, one thing, he is dangerously violent and apparently does not care about us even a little bit. Like, I'm yeah, pretty, doesn't even really like us. Like, I'm, has no... He's clearly calling Barney Little Bunny be, a little buddy because he does not know his name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Andy gives Barney the official order that he can't fight Jeff. Also on the basis of, well, what would it look like if a deputy got his ass kicked in the middle of town? I'd have to fire you because you'd never have authority ever again. Uh, and then smash cut. <laughs> and, and then and then Barney goes home and commits suicide because like, what the hell can you do after that? Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> God, yeah. No, Barney. I, I feel very. Oh, I I simultaneously I feel bad for Barney. <laughs> I feel bad for Barney against all like Barney is doing his best to make me not No, Barney is being peak asshole Barney and I still feel bad for him. <laughs> like that's how incredibly shitty Jeff Pruitt is. Uh <laughs> that like wow, you're making like Barney's firing on all pistons and I still want him to fucking shoot you. Next, we go to Thumbelou's living room, where, of course, we're mostly concerned with Barney's feelings. Uh, Again. And Thumbelou reassures us that, you know, Barney has not lost her to Jeff Pruitt. Uh, she's tried to discourage him, but he didn't. she didn't want to be rude, and he's so persistent. Uh, and this, this is where Andy says the line, basically, that we're talking about, where Jeff's a good old buddy. He just doesn't know any better. He just doesn't know that he can't treat his wife like uh, like livestock. He, that's just, that's just a, a slight thing you just have to overcome, I guess, with him. Yeah, just like, it's, it's his personal failing that he forgets that sometimes people aren't cattle. You know. Uh, I, you know, alright, I, so the next thing that happens is, 
a stupid Andy Griffith style. They refer like, to it as Bronco busting. Escapade. Yeah, it's, it's a stupid escapade. I'm going to burn through it, but basically the concept behind it is that uh, they want, they know that Jeff could never live in town. So they make it seem like Thumbelou is really into like prim, proper, civilized men that are only the kind, like city slickers. He needs to become and, her dream prince to win her hand. Right. Right. So basically says you can't, you can't do the rough stuff. You got to be gentle. Take a bow. Uh, they, they do a scene finger. where they teach him. They teach him how to drink tea and balance a cup of tea on your knee or whatever. Balance and, a cup like, and a cookie plate on, on one knee, which I don't know if that's real. That looks stupid as hell. That seems real and that seems real stupid. But also, like, it seems like a pretty simple task. And Jeff Pruitt responds like he's the, uh, has this ever happened to you guy <laughs> in black and white at the beginning of an infomercial who can't pour milk or whatever? He somehow manages like, to hacky sack with that teacup briefly. It's almost impressive. Like, as soon as he puts the teacup, teacup in his hand, it's like he's the dude holding the bucket and the hose and all the... You can't wash <laughs> your car like this! <laughs> has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that immediately. Uh, and so they get Jeff a suit, too. By the way, like, they make him buy a suit. Uh, and he comes to Thumbelou's house in the suit. She pretends to like him. She says, would you like these finger sandwiches? These tiny little sandwiches? That's dinner, by the way. If you marry me, you're just having little tiny sandwiches for dinner. And he's um, like, oh, this is good appetizers for dinner. And she's like, no, these are dinner. And he's like, which, which dinner? Dinner. And then they do that joke for a while. Uh, yeah. And then Andy enters and he's like, hey, Jeff, check it out. I found uh, houses that you can buy. And Jeff's like, well, I already have a house on my farm. And, uh, and, and. Thumbelou is like, well, I'm not moving on a fucking farm. Fuck you. Uh, you have to move into town. And Jeff goes like, yeah, you have to quit your farm and uh, get a job. And here are your options. Uh, guard at the bank and shoe salesman. And Thumbelou is like, he's going to do shoe salesman. And that's when Jeff flips the fuck out. And yeah, he rips off his clip-on tie, which I found very funny. Yeah. Uh, he He's like, no! Every Pruitt has always worked on a farm. No Pruitt has ever, like, had a tie. He rips off his clip-on tie. He says, tie. like, no Pruitt has ever worked in a place with a roof, which is such a weird way to put that. Which almost actually makes it sound kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he just, like, freaks out. And then he's, he's I'm done with this. I'm going to run to Bertha. At least she likes me for me. Rawr! And so he's about to leave, but then Barney comes in, and Barney's like, "All right, I'm here. I'm time to. F I'm ready to fight you." And Jeff goes, "I'm not gonna fight you. Then get out of here." And then Jeff says, "I'm leaving," and he runs away. And then, as if all of this wasn't fucking bad enough, now we have to deal with smug Barney fight. Tough guy Barney. Barney thinks that he's the reason why Jeff ran away. Ah, I I swear to fucking God, fucker! If the volume of my voice is changing in and out rapidly. It's because I'm rapidly like leaning, like with my head in my hands and also like almost falling back in my chair with exasperation. This episode is so frustrating in so many different ways. It's such rapid succession. And then Barney does what like he thinks is a cool line and honestly probably would have been a cool line if anyone else had delivered it. And he says to Samalu, well, you know what? To the victor, 
goes to spoils, uh. and he grabs her and kisses her. And it's so dumb and gross. It, it wouldn't have been that fucking bad a line if it had not been preceded by an entire episode about how you can't objectify women. <laughs> They're like, 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 hey, you know how we should cap this fucking episode about a dude who thinks that women are animals? An ep- uh, makeout where he refers to a woman as a thing. So Thelma Luz really traded up. Uh, where he's like, oh, she's she's gone from being a sheep to a trophy. Uh, and then the stinger, where it's literally just like Bar- Barney, who thinks he's a tough guy now because that was his fucking takeaway, uh, threatens a guy who parked illegally, and then the guy is about to kick the shit out of a deputy in the middle of town, which I feel like probably happens a lot off screen. And then Andy's just like, like behind Barney, just like, just like gestures like don't do it and then the guy's like okay i'm not gonna do it and then barney's like yeah i'm super tough so the end the gold at the end of this fucking rainbow no the big the reward at the end of this fucking miserable forced march is that barney thinks he's tough that's not not like thelma lou got any sort of reward or Jeff Pruitt learned a good lesson about women's agency. Just the payoff is that Barney again feels like an alpha male. So I guess like it's a, it's like he gets like, so there's the, the cuckolding of Barney is like a theme throughout and like his impotent rage which I guess is good that that sort of gets resolved, but they make it the point again. Like, Barney's masculinity is every fucking episode at this point. Ugh, I'm so <sighs> tired. Thank God we did this second. Ugh. Okay, I've 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 worn down. I can't I can't be angrier at this. I've aged thirty uh. years. This on it. Do you think this is more or less sexist than Ellie saves a female? I mean, Ellie saves a female is still more sexist because, like, they both basically have the lesson of you're objectifying women incorrectly, but. Ellie saves a female. The lesson behind that is, why would you have your daughter work in a in a field when you could pimp her out for work? Okay, I, I'm gonna devil's advocate this. In Ellie saves a female, despite that horrible nightmare moral, a woman wants a thing and then gets a thing. So, in this, a, a woman is just at the mercy of 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 nightmare forces that. That, that she's just like trying to be safe from and then sort of gets it. I don't know. Like at least the women in Ellie save, there are women with agency and Ellie saves a female. Thelma Lou is the mm. primary woman of this. And she could, she has negative agency. She could not have, she could not feasibly have less agency. She's just like yeah. a boat in a storm, like hoping that she doesn't get knocked over. And, I think this might be worse. I think this might be more sexist. Also, oh no, did Ellie Saves a Female have sexual consent issues? Because this has a lot of those. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Jeff Jeff Pruitt is a is a big old rapist. Like 
just just big old like PG version of a rapist. He's like fucking Bluto from Popeye. Yeah, he really is just like Bluto from Popeye. This really is just like and Yes, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, he's just like the all logical right, conclusion of Bluto from Popeye if there was no Popeye. And 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 Barney is the Popeye in this situation, but instead of of spinach, it's a gun. Yeah, it gets me a gun. It is incredible that he does not threaten to shoot Jeff Pruitt. It yeah, honestly, like a major like hole in his character is it. Do you want to do a couple more Popeye impressions? I feel like you got. Yes, I do. Yeah, go for it, my guy. I've got me some firearms. I'm, I'm sure that's going to sound great in the podcast, but in my headphones right now, I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> so, because it sounds, it sounds like you're doing a Popeye impression, like over my shoulder, directly into my ear, and, and I like I can't see you right now because we're recording remotely, so it feels like you're behind me. Just doing a Popeye impression into my ear, and I hate it. I All right, hate, well, that's what I'm doing from now on. I hate sneaking up behind me and doing a Popeye impression. Yep, I'll fucking kill that's you. That's the hell you've just invited yourself to. I'm going to kill you if you do that. And then when the cops come, I'll be like, "All right, I know this looks bad, but you're not gonna believe this." And they'll be like. <laughs> They'll be like, all right, arrest the corpse. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think this is worse. I think this is the most, I don't know if this is, this is definitely, is this the most, let's get to ratings, because we got to figure out if this is the most. Fuck yes, yeah, 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 fuck it. All right, so, uh, Andy Meter first. This is not a good episode. I do not enjoy it. Fucking three. I was in physical pain. It. It's not as bad as Andy and Opie Housekeepers. It's a two. It loses even more points for me because it introduces what could have been an amazing character. I wish I could love Jeff Pruitt, but just wastes it. Yeah, no, Jeff Pruitt should be a great fucking character, <laughs> but he's like, I like you couldn't think of any better way to introduce the big lovable doof farmer. This is what you had to go with is like him basically being an almost rapist. I I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to see Jeff again. I think that he just disappears after this episode. Thank fuck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I never want to see this goddamn. I hope I'm going to like get through the remainder of this podcast by just believing that the second Jeff Pruitt lit out of town, he immediately was run over. Like he was like, I'm gonna go find Bertha, and then the second he stepped out of frame, just like he wasn't even all the way off Thelma Lou's lawn, a milk truck just ran him down, and then just like road hauled him for like a mile and a half. Like I fucking hate this piece of shit character, and I hope he dies. Uh, so what's our ratings, Marty? Uh, fuck. All right. So and then the the FIFA meter. Oh, it's so high. I gotta say, this has got to be like a nine. It's de- I'd say it's a ten. I don't. It's a ten. You know, yeah, it, it's definitely a ten. It's it's a ten. This is definitely the closest that we've ever come to implied rape on the Andy Griffith show. So yeah, yeah. No, like it's kind of one of those things I like to uh, say about characters of like take this character and then imagine the closest possible version of them in real life. 
Like it's what yeah. I say about Barney Fife, uh, not Barney Fife, Barney Stinson a lot. The guy from How I Met Your Mother. Like imagine the closest real life version to this character. What would they be like? And like Barney Stinson, Jeff Pruitt would be a fucking rapist. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I think it's a ten. I don't what. It's a ten. What's it's a ten at this point? What is the Hall of Tens? Oh, uh, you know what? I we'll go back through our old episodes and, and rank them. But yeah, they, we I need to like start don't. a Hall of Fame for all of our tens. Uh, so that's it for us. I've worn myself out. Um, I'm so tired. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we, let's wrap this up. How much of this do you think is the fact that we haven't done a two episode in a while? These are. I don't know. This was a mistake. Okay. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. As always, if you want to follow us on the internet, you can check us out on twitter.com slash breakmayberry, facebook.com slash breakingmayberry. On YouTube, we are also breakingmayberry. Uh, I am at Schneid Remarks on the Twitter. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. Uh, I'm at the Luds, two Ds. Uh, you know, you, you know the whole thing. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share us with your friends. That's really going to help us out. Please do so if you want to support the show. Uh, you know everything else. You know that you're about to hear uh, Appalachian Coal Mines by Midair Machine. You know that our opening music was made by Max Ludwig, who is at Sleep Talking. You know what all What are we this. even you know doing here, know? people? <laughs> you know what else you know? You know that, you'll, that we'll see you all down at the fishing. Y'all come back now. God damn it. Okay.